2: Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com, chat with John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew, and provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com.
1: And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB.
0: Now it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Peter, let's start with the Giants. Votes of confidence happen all the time in professional sports. They can be hollow. So what would you take away from the statement released by the Giants yesterday on behalf of ownership supporting Ben McAdoo?
3: Meaningless uh, because, look, the New York Giants uh, have, in the last 80 years of their history, uh, have never hired a coach and given them less than two years. So um, I didn't expect them to to fire him during the season. Uh, I expect him probably to fire him after the season, but I think John Mara is one of those guys just like his father. What can be gained right now by handing the, the job to Steve Spagnuolo for the last five or six weeks of the year? What possible good would that do, especially because the defense stinks you know why would you why would you reward the leader of a of a unit playing like crap? And both sides are playing like crap. But but I just think that it's not the way the Giants operate.
1: When you when you think of it that way, that that basically means that should apply for all the other teams throughout the National Football League, like Hugh Jackson with the Cleveland Browns. Give me your take on that one, because how many games has he won since he's been there? Only one game.
3: He's won oh. in twenty four.
1: Yeah, um, which is pretty bad.
3: But I think, I think the reason, Cordell, why if I were the Browns, I'd give Hugh Jackson another year is that, um, you know, if you look at the ownership of Jimmy Haslam, uh, you know, he's, he's changed coaches often. Um, and, you know, the one thing that happens when you change coaches Uh, The the new coach comes in and possibly a new general manager comes in. And what they do is they have their own philosophy on how to build a team. So when the Browns were so celebrated for having, I think, 14 picks last year in the draft, well, a uh, uh, a new team comes in. Running the organization and maybe coaching the team, and they say, Well, we don't like, we, we want to play a, a 3 4 instead of a 4 3, or we want to we do this, we believe in this on offense and this on whatever, whatever it is. What if they change a lot of what they're going to do, and so they start getting rid of all these players who you've drafted to fit a certain system? And I realize you can't keep them forever. But in a place like Cleveland, where they've lost for a 1,000 years, uh, it, it, to, to expect, and again, it's worse than I thought it would be, no question. I'm not defending what's going on in Cleveland at all. I'm just saying that what good would it be to, to again start from ground zero?
2: Chatting with Peter King from the MMQB. Peter, take us back to what you wrote about in detail on Sunday. How contentious have things gotten between Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, now other owners getting involved. How messy is this?
3: I think Jerry Jones's philosophy here is very, very simple. Uh, there's a lot of chaos in the league right now. There's a lot going on in the league that nobody likes. You know, the anthem protests that they just can't seem to uh, wrap their hands around and do something with the players that's, that's going to make this go away. That's number one. Number two... Uh, the fact that TV ratings are down basically about 15% over the last two years. What's wrong? How can that be fixed? And number three, you know, the continuing problems with, uh, with CTE and the fact that uh, it's, it, there's so many parents who don't want their kids to play football anymore. There's, uh, there, there's, just, there's a lot going on in the league right now, and I think Jones's attitude is, Roger Goodell is not; uh, his contract isn't up for another year plus. Why can't we wait until the off season when we really can sink our teeth into all of these issues and just ask the common sense question: Is this the guy who we want to be the commissioner for the next seven years? Because think about it: if they give him a contract extension right now, he's the commissioner till mid two thousand twenty-four. And so, you, I mean, every time that Roger Goodell sticks his head outside a door into public, he gets the living crap boot out of him. And the bottom line is, so this happens, and you have to keep asking yourself, is this what we want? And I think it's a good question to ask. And the, the logical question is, does Jerry Jones have any supporters out there? Does he have anybody out there except maybe you know, Dan Snyder, uh, who, who I think is, is a supporter of his? And the fact is, I don't think anybody knows for sure, but I do think that there are more than just a few owners out there right now, Brian, that are basically saying, you go, Jerry, try to get some traction in this, and then maybe I'll come out publicly for you.
1: When you think of Roger Goodell and and, and you're hearing the the information about him wanting 49.5 million bucks, 50 million bucks to play and all that stuff. Um, When you think of the money that he's getting, I don't like to get in someone else's pockets, but to make the listeners understand he's responsible for 32 teams that are worth well over a billion bucks. Okay. And so now that's basically what a million bucks plus maybe $1.5 million that he has that he's getting from each team to where he's now responsible for these owners and what they want for as laying down the rulings of the international football league and how they want their league to look because this is a private entity. It's run by his body. It's owned by the owners and it's run by the commissioner. That number should be a pretty good number when it comes down to running and being somewhat of a, a CEO of a private corporation. Correct.
3: I would agree Cordell, but the question then becomes what's a fair number. Uh-huh. And, if the NFL is this, is this huge money-making venture that is, uh, is this, this uh, you know, this, they just print money, then why can't Roger Goodell ask for $80 a million, $100 million, and just why, why wouldn't they just give it to him? And my, my whole point about this is, doesn't it just seem a little bit obscene, if indeed it is true, that, you know, now he gets about 40 and you so let's say you raise him to 50. Alright, you get a 20% raise and then you would also agree and again, you can request whatever you want when you're, when you're uh, going to, uh, when you're in contract negotiations. Most people ask for too much uh, or ask for more than they think they're going to get and then they settle for something a little bit less. I get that but if 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 the if the private plane thing is anything more than just a pie in the sky deal, that just strikes me as as obscene. It just does. I just I, I don't like it. I don't see how how anybody would think that that's fair. That let's say. Eight times a year, you know, you're going to want a, a private plane trip or eight or ten times a year, you're going to want a pr- private plane trip to uh, whatever, to Venezuela or to some, some beach in Maui. I, I don't know. But it, that's just, it's too much. It's too much, it, at least the way I look at it. And if I'm an owner in this league and if that's true, I say, okay, that's it. That's just it. That we have got to draw the line here and i'm not, i'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be a get off my lawn guy here I'm simply trying to say i don't understand where somebody who is supposedly as conservative and 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 Roger Goodell does not live extravagantly he, he doesn't, but somebody who's as conservative as Goodell is and everything like that and and as quiet a guy as he is i mean a private plane at your disposal for the rest of your life for you and your family. That just, that to me is, is awful. Yeah. just, just really hit me the wrong way.
2: Peter, as always, we appreciate the strong opinions. Have a great week and we'll chat with you Sunday on NFL first and goal on TuneIn premium. Sounds great guys. Thank you.
0: You're listening to NFL. No huddle,
2: the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. Touchdown! From Week 1 to Week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me, taking you from game to game with live home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block, Brady
4: tosses,
0: touchdown!
2: Hear every big play. Here, every game-winning drop is a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we talk Houston football with Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, we appreciate you taking the time. So even though Tom Savage had four turnovers, in the lost Sunday on the road in L.A. to the Rams. He's going to start this week coming up against the Cardinals. How long do you think his leash will be in that matchup if he struggles again?
4: I think it's got to be pretty short, Brian. I I don't think there's any way that, that Tom's going to have the leash that he had the other day. I think T.J. Yates has been there for three weeks now. And he knew a decent majority of the offense. In fact, TJ Yates was one of the people instrumental in helping Deshaun Watson learn the offense in the offseason. So I think if TJ, you know, TJ's gone through some stuff the last few weeks. He had a premature uh, baby, uh, by 10 weeks premature, his wife did. And so he was at the Nick U when he got the, the notice to come to Houston. So I think, you know, he's a few weeks past that. Baby's doing okay. So I think that probably has helped his mental state. Physically, he looks good. So I would imagine that if Tom Savage struggles again early, that there's no way that Bill O'Brien won't pull the trigger, especially at NRG Stadium, where I do not believe Tom Savage is going to get the, the biggest round of applause on Sunday when the offense is introduced. It's the offense's turn to be introduced on Andre Johnson Day. So I would imagine the crowd will get a little ornery if he doesn't do something right away. And if he does not have a good start, I think they'll go to T.J. Yates relatively, relatively early.
1: Regardless of who you may go to at the quarterback position, uh, you do have Will Fuller, who uh, looked like he sustained a, a rib injury with a big hit coming across the middle. Tell me, uh, how is he doing so far? Will he be able to play to be that deep threat that he once was?
4: Cordell, I think he's going to be out for this one. He took a shot from a Marcus Joyner who is actually one of my favorite players in the NFL. I remember him coming out of Florida State, and I wrote about him saying that, you know, Lamarcus Marcus Joyner could be the next Rondé Barber, a guy that could play in the slot, could play at safety, could play at corner. You play a lot of different places. Well, Lamarcus Marcus Joyner is a true baller, and he hit Will Fuller, I'm telling you, right in the ribs, about 10 yards away from me. And I've got headphones on listening to Mark and Andre during the broadcast, and I heard it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Will got up after that. He said after the game he was okay. But my guess is that he'll probably miss this week. The guys are out today with the off day on Tuesday. But we'll, we'll find out a little bit more tomorrow. But my gut tells me it's probably going to be another week before he can get back on the field, which will be for Monday night's football against the Baltimore Ravens.
2: Chatting with John Harris, Texans Radio Network, Texans team channel here on TuneIn. John, you alluded to a special day for Andre Johnson going to be honored coming up on Sunday. So many talented wide receivers over the last quarter century in our league, but do you think Johnson did enough to make it to the Hall of Fame?
4: Well, of course I'm biased because I've seen Andre since 2007, and that's when uh, I got back here to Houston in 2007. And one of the things that I wanted to do with Andre was just watch him at practice. And just see how he worked. And he was maniacal about his work at practice. And the great ones at the receiver position were all that way. I mean, Jerry Rice, I mean, that guy put in insane amounts of work. And Andre Johnson wanted to be that, that type of player. Now, he did it in his own way. But, man, he, here's the thing that holds him back to a degree. He didn't score a lot of touchdowns. And on top of that, the Texans didn't get – very far in their playoff trips when they did get to the playoffs when Andre was near the end of his career in 2011-2012. Those two things I think hurt him a little bit and now you've got some players that are passing him. I think Larry Fitzgerald has now moved up, the, moved up the charts a little bit. I'm biased. I think Andre should be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think that it'll happen on the first or second ballot because now you're going to start getting a backlog of guys that produced numbers. But I do know there was a time when the three best receivers in the league, and this was for a number of years, were Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, and Andre Johnson. And then there would be some others that were kind of being a mix. But for a while, it was those three guys. And I think that period of dominance for Andre will eventually get him into the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves to go in there. And that might be my first trip to Canton is when Andre does go in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully he does that sooner than later.
1: For this organization, the best move, let's just say, they could have ever made was to grab Deshaun Watson. I think most would probably say that, considering that this is the first time that this organization has had a dynamic quarterback like a Deshaun Watson. So that leads me to ask this question. Who's most important to this, to this team? Is it Bill O'Brien or is it Deshaun Watson?
4: Ooh, that's yeah. a great question, Cornell. Now, I, I say this. Having known Bill O'Brien for about 25 years, we were teammates at Brown University. So we've known each other for a long time. I think the the key thing is I I think the politically correct thing to say is both of them, because both of them, I think when they were together, they've really come up with a nice offense that they can build on. And you really, I mean, nobody was stopping them at that point. But I don't think there's any question. You've got to have the guy pulling the trigger. You've got to have Deshaun Watson uh, throwing the ball, making magic happen. That, you've got to have Deshaun Watson. There's no question. Now, another coach comes in, maybe he doesn't quite understand what he has, uh, and he tries to do some different things with Deshaun. I don't know. I know what Bill O'Brien was doing and the stuff that he had in his back pocket that they didn't have, they didn't have out yet that they were going to use with Deshaun down the road. I think is going to make the Texans a very dangerous team in the future, especially when they can get some of the pieces back on the defensive side of the ball. But I think you've got to have the guy pulling the trigger because Bill Belichick without Tom Brady is a good coach, a playoff a playoff coach. But is he winning Super Bowls, I don't think so. So I think you've got to have that guy pulling the trigger. So Deshaun Watson is maybe, I don't know, maybe, he is the most valuable individual in this organization at this moment and will be for hopefully a good long while.
2: John, you played that well. You should run for Congress. very delicately (laughs) constructed answer. John Harris, Sideline Analyst, Texans Radio Network, Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. Houston has to focus on their own issues, but as you just demonstrated, you're a broadcaster who can opine. How much of an advantage is it? that you could be seeing Blaine Gabbert as the third string quarterback forced to start or Drew Stanton who's less than 100% because of the knee injury coming up on Sunday.
4: Well, I'll tell you this, Brian, we've seen Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and Jared Goff. I will I don't care if it's Drew Stanton or if it's Blaine Gabbert. I I'll take the the break if you will because after seeing all those quarterbacks already this year, it'll be it'll be nice to see someone not have a you know not a guy that was the number one overall pick. Heck, we saw Alex Smith at the height of his play on a Sunday night. So we've seen some really good quarterbacks this year, and it'll be it'll be nice to see somebody at that level. Now that said, those guys can still make a few plays against a defense that has struggled a little bit. It got it played better against LA for about two and a half quarters, and then the dam broke and the Texans turned it over too much and the defense is put on short field. So that was, that was a killer second half. But if that defense shows up that play in the first half and can play a full 60 minutes, then whether it's Stane or it's Gabbert, I don't think they're too concerned about that. They're both athletic. They can make some things happen, but they're not those quarterbacks I mentioned, and that will be a good thing for this defense to see at home on the day they celebrate Andre Johnson.
1: I think they need to start running the football a little bit more. Um, you take the ball out of Tom Savage's hands or whomever it may be. If it's not Tom Savage, rather it be a half he has left to prove himself. Uh, but if you can start running the football and control the clock just a little bit, I think this defense will probably have a little bit more energy to play with uh, when playing in a game. You watch that track meet uh, that the Rams ends up putting up last week against them, uh, being able to do pretty much any and everything they wanted to do. But because I think the offense got off the field so quick it ended up forcing the defense out there, and I think it cost him to become really, really tired. If you if you had to do it your way, would you change it around to force everything to be done in the trenches and start with Lamar Miller?
4: In theory, absolutely, Cordell. I absolutely agree with you in theory. I think that's what Bill O'Brien would like to be able to do. With Deontay Foreman, Lamar Miller, I think he would love to be able to do that. The problem is the offensive line is not – Uh, it's not a top-quality offensive line at this point. There's no Dwayne Brown. uh, There's no Brandon Brooks. Those guys were stalwarts for a while. Derek Newton has not been able to come back from an injury he suffered last year. Those are three important pieces for this offensive line, and they don't have those guys. And that's really, I think, been a major issue uh, for this team. Now, Deshaun could mask some of that with his ability to get out of the pocket, to get away from the pressure, and how fast, he made decisions and got the ball out of his hands. But without that, safeties are locked in. you got seven, eight guys near the box. They're forcing Tom Savage to have to beat them, and he's not able to do it. So they did run the ball with some success early, but that the Rams said, forget that. Number three has got to beat us, and we don't think you can. And the Rams are right. And Wade Phillips, that defense of the Rams, took a, took a chance and a calculated one that Tom Savage wasn't going to be able to throw the ball and beat them and they had to get away from the run once they got down 23-7, 30-7, and now they're having to throw the ball to try and stay in it. But absolutely, Cordell, I think they should run it, but it's so tough to do with this offensive line, that really doesn't get a ton of movement off the football, and they're, they're not able to really get a rhythm going running the ball. But that's what they'd like to do. I know that's what Bill O'Brien would want to do. They're just not able to execute that aspect of it as much as they would like to without Deshaun Watson taking some of the eyes off that running game onto him. And when they did that, then they were able to run the ball effectively. They just haven't been able to do that with Deshaun out of the lineup.
2: John, as always, we appreciate the information. Enjoy your week, and we'll chat with you next week again right here on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this.
5: Hi, this is Ned Coletti from MLB on TuneIn, inviting you to check out my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. The day Frank McCourt made me the 10th general manager in the long, proud history of the Los Angeles Dodgers, November 15, 2005, was monumental for the Coletti family. I've been blessed to spend the last 35 years in Major League Baseball, all with iconic franchises, the Cubs, the Giants, and the Dodgers where I was a general manager for nine seasons. In the big chair, I let listeners in on the intricacies of being an executive and a GM of a major sports franchise, share the process behind the trades, free agency, and the deals, shedding some light on how the money and decision-making really works. I'll also take you deep inside some of the thought process behind some of the major decisions led to success and titles, along with heartbreak and failure. If you're a baseball fan, come for the inside and grit. If you're a sports fan, stay for the heart. Catch every exciting chapter of my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today.
0: This is NFL
2: No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down the Cowboys with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, thanks for taking the time. I know Cordell wants to chat with you about offensive line play Sunday in Atlanta, so I'm going to start on defense. Sean Lee, if he ex- misses an extensive amount of time with a hamstring injury, how big of an impact could it be on the D?
6: Well, I think it's a huge impact. If you look at uh, their record uh, when he's on the field, they're 5-1. and one. When he's off the field, they're 0-3. Oh So, yeah, it does cause a dilemma. And, 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 you know, not only from making plays on the field, but just kind of getting everybody lined up, getting the calls in, kind of giving everybody a hint on what he thinks is about to happen. He's so versatile out there. Uh, as the guys a couple of weeks ago when I was working on a story on him, uh, they said, you know, he's like the quarterback of the defense, and, and you don't want to lose your quarterback on offense, and you certainly don't want to lose him on defense. I think he's going to be hard-pressed uh, to get back in time with the strained hamstring uh, that he suffered the uh, end of the first quarter uh, on Sunday, and, and then it gets it gets even more complicated because they're going to play a game in four days on Thanksgiving, and that's a short week, so he has less time to even rehab then. So uh, I think if he misses Sunday, he probably misses Thursday, and then the best hope can be that he gets back for the following Thursday uh, game against Washington. But uh, they've got to figure out uh, what they're going to do without him on the field. Uh, I, I think – they would like to keep Anthony Hitchens on, on the, taking his spot on the weak side, but then you got to find somebody to play middle linebacker, and that's been the problem. Uh, Jalen Smith does fine playing 15 to 30 plays a game, but I think when he gets over that, he, I think he gets overwhelmed and he gets exposed. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out what to do and how they get through it. And it's not only on the base defense, especially on the nickel Uh, When you need another mobile linebacker out there that can sense what's going on, he's so good at that. And I just don't know if they've got another guy that can give them even close to what Sean Lee uh, gives them day in and day out.
1: Mickey, to get Troy Aikman to sound as frustrated as he did on air, which you normally don't get that from him. He's probably one of the most laid back guys that I've had the opportunity to meet uh, being with Lee Steinberg. But when you see him get frustrated because of the lack of Let's just say protection on the quarterback, particularly on the blind side, because that's, that's that's crucial if you have someone on the backside to protect you. Why didn't Scott Lanahan help Chaz Green out, knowing he moved from guard to tackle? Why didn't he have a tight end or a fullback? I saw them try it one time with, with Keith Smith, the fullback, but then all of a sudden they just left it and allowed uh, Adrian Claiborne to just have a field day. I mean, how do you correct that problem moving forward, considering that they didn't do it in the last game against Atlanta? Well, I think
6: they got a little stubborn thinking that, uh, you know, at some point Chaz Green was going to right himself. And let's, uh, let me go back. They, he did work at guard during training camp, but he, he is a tackle. Uh, they were trying to convert him to a guard. And he came in and played, started two games last year for Tyron Smith early in the season and played well. And they won the games. Uh, So I'm not sure what happened to him in this game. Now, he hadn't played tackle since the fourth game of last year, meaning in a regular season game, because he missed the last 12 games uh, of last year and really didn't play uh, hardly at all, even at guard this year. Uh, So that was his first start uh, in more than a year at tackle. And, you know, I'm not sure what happened to him. Because I've seen him play and I've seen him play well. Uh, he gives up four sacks. That's half the sacks uh, that Atlanta uh, collected in that game, and and he was getting beat by Claiborne to the outside each time. And it's like, well, just play him to the outside because he's not he's not trying to double back and come under. He's just going to the outside, and he, he just I don't know if he got frustrated. Cordell or what, but yeah, it was just awful. And, 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 you know, he probably played, they had 59, I think, offensive snaps. So he probably played somewhere around 40 to 45 snaps in the game. And, you know, he he was okay on those. He wasn't great, but those four plays, I mean, he looked like the worst tackle in the history of the national football league. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what they do this week. I think, tyron's got an outside chance of being back in time to be able to play he's working on the resistance cords right now uh seems to be doing a little bit of running uh so we'll see if he gets back but they can't count on that so they got to decide do they do they trust Chad green another time do they go to byron bell who by the way played two series and gave up two sacks himself uh to the same guy so um, they got to do better, and if and if they can't get the guy to play better, then you're right. They got to give him some help. I think they gave him some help on about eight or ten plays. Uh, but other than that, he was on his own, and you know what? Uh, and I think they thought, well, if we can just get the pass off quick, that'll take up you know double teaming, uh, that guy playing a wide nine coming from so far outside. Uh, but he needed more help than that.
2: Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, Cowboys Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, challenging to fairly evaluate the running game because of the Smith injury on the offensive line Sunday in Atlanta, but in general, what did you take away from the Cowboys' first game without Ezekiel Elliott?
6: Well, I think they lost the threat uh, in the running game, and Atlanta knew that. And, and so, you know, when they got into a lot of these situations, I think they felt like they could handle the running game, and they did for the most part, and then concentrate on getting pressure on Dak Prescott, what they did an awful lot. Because uh, even though they had eight, uh, eight sacks, they also hit him ten times. I mean, it was like a pinata back there. Uh, poor guy, he had to be sore as heck. Uh, so uh, the other guys have to play well, too. And they just didn't do a good job. They didn't do that good of a job run blocking. But, again, that's the way Atlanta plays, right? Dan Quinn brings what they did from Seattle over to Atlanta. You stack the line of scrimmage uh, and play single safety high, and that's basically what they did, and the Cowboys didn't handle it. Now, would it have been better with Zeke in there? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I would think when the in the second half when they drove and had first and 10 at the twelve. I'm guessing Zeke gets the first two carries instead of trying to throw a little out pass to the, what, to the running back who tripped and nearly fell down and kind of messed up the play. Uh, so uh, they just have to do a better job. If teams want to, to, to uh, you know, gang up on the run, you got to be able to throw it. But to throw it, you got to be able to block it, and then you'll get them out of crowding the line of scrimmage. Uh, so we'll see what goes on the next time. You know, it's the first time they've had to really play without him, except for the final game last year, uh, when they sat him, uh, when they had the division all wrapped up. Uh, I'll be interested to see what would have, how they handle it going forward.
1: But going forward in the next time is against the Philadelphia Eagles. And with all that said, how do you think they fare against that football team that is right now about as hot as lava offensively, defensively, and special teams And the energy is at some of the all-time highs right now for that Philadelphia Eagles football team?
6: And then, and then add on, they're coming off a bye, right? So they're all yeah. rested up. I, I think you got to hope they got bored not playing this past Sunday. Uh <laughs> You're right. They're awfully good. And when I was looking at their sack total, you know, they have 25 sacks and 20 and a half of them uh, have been attributed to their defensive front. So their defensive ends defensive tackles have totaled 20 and a half sacks. So, yeah, that doesn't bode well uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, just got to do a better job. So the the two big things they got to figure out this week going forward, if they're going to have a chance against the Eagles is if Tyron Smith can't play, what how do you handle that left tackle? Cause you can't, Let one position ruin your offense. And then how do you compensate for no Sean Lee? And they haven't done a very good job of compensating for him this year uh, when he missed the back-to-back games against Green Bay uh, and the Rams. Both teams scored 35 points. Uh, Then he misses this game, and basically it was a 7 nothing game when he went out. They finished that drive, kicked a field goal, and then scored 24 more straight points and basically scored on all but one of their next five possessions until there was four minutes left in the game. Uh, So I think they've got to solve those two things if they're going to have an opportunity uh, or even a chance uh, to be able to beat Atlanta and, and get back to within two games of them in first place in the NFC East.
2: Mickey, as always, we appreciate your time and the insights. Enjoy your week, and we'll chat with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn.
6: Sounds good. You guys take care. You're
0: listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this.
2: Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC 35 headphones 2 today.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon from swollendome.com.
0: Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Off
4: to the- He's gone! He's gone! What a move!
0: It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He
4: goes to the near side, <laughs> and a trick!
0: from the fantasy heroes
2: down the middle it's caught over the shoulder
4: in the end zone
0: buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix
2: michael as always we appreciate the time since we saw a lot of christian mccaffrey and carolina's monday night win if i'm going to limit you to rookie running backs between mccaffrey or joe mixon who's going to have the strongest stretch run from the fantasy point of view
7: I will take McCaffrey because you've got a more dynamic offense being run right now, both as a runner and receiver. A little surprised to see Stewart go over 100 yards. I don't think anybody would have won any bar bets over that one. Uh, But the the fact of the matter, you're seeing that six to eight touches uh, out of the backfield as a receiver each week, and he's been more explosive. And if Cam continues to play like he did last night and then continue to rock such dominating suits and hat combinations in the (laughs) postgame, that means good things for McCaffrey because those are the winning suits. If he's wearing those, all's well in the world.
1: Uh, Mike, with with Devontae Freeman likely out, what happens to the value of Tevin Coleman? This week against the Seattle Seahawks.
7: Yeah, we get him in as a a back-end, number one, high-end, number two, looking for a larger touch count. Seattle, uh, as we go through, I mean, still banged up. They'll get some of that secondary back, uh, which should help shore up against the run game. But still looking at Coleman to be a 15-touch guy, and and we've seen the explosiveness. So let's get him in as a back-end one.
2: Michael like the great JT. Not Justin Timberlake. James Taylor. I'm going to Carolina in my mind. That was a stretch, but i got to get you to Greg Olson. Getting closer to being activated. Would you be proactive and grab him now? Because when he comes back, we know the rapport between the playmaking tight end and Cam Newton. Plus, we got the bad injury news. Curtis Samuel's done for the rest of the year, meaning I think Olson's going to be targeted even more when he gets healthy.
7: There you have it. Get him right back in, red zone target. He'll do a game in the broadcast booth and hang out a bit uh, and then get back onto the field. Very exciting time for Cam Newton. I mean, they've been able to weather the storm 7-3, and three, but when you can get a guy uh, that you trust as much, I mean, look at the big game they had, including all the drops. Samuel, unfortunately, before he gets hurt, you look at the drops from Shepard uh, and go on down the line that, you know, you get your steady hand tight end back, and the tight end position hasn't been as dominant dominant. dominant top to bottom, as I think we expected, a lot more ebb and flow, Uh, but if you can get a guy like Olsen back in the mix, uh, now suddenly uh, you've got a week-to-week playmaker, and if nothing else, again, I I keep stressing this the last couple of weeks, go through the end of your bench, find the dead weight, uh, and start playing defense to make sure that one of these players, like an Olsen, isn't in the lineup against you as you're striving for that last playoff push.
1: When thinking about the New Orleans Saints, you truly think about the offense alone, but this offense has completely flipped and now known for producing in a running game. Uh, How do you see the value of Drew Brees and his receivers now? Shock and
7: awe as you go through it, right? Over the last four weeks, you look at the top three running back scorers, Ezekiel Elliott, now on a plane and hanging out in Europe, seeing the sights. Uh, and then Kamara and Ingram are two and three uh, ahead of Todd Gurley. So you look at the the dominance there for the passing game, really the only person you, you trust on a week-to-week basis is the, the workload that Thomas sees. But even then, the output's uh, heading up and down for Drew Brees, on a week-to-week basis, still going to be a QB1, but certainly not valued as highly as we would have in the past because of that defense showing up in a big, big way and, and playing balanced. So against Washington this week, I'd have him as a mid-QB1, so in that 7-9 to nine range, uh, but certainly not looking for those 400-yard,
2: three-touchdown heroics like we've seen in the past. Tuesday edition Fantasy Fix being provided by Michael Harmon, com. Mike, since you use the analogy of playing defense when it comes to setting your lineup, let's talk about defense specifically. And I know it typically hinges on matchups. Who are your top defenses this week?
7: Week-to-week, well, right now, I mean, Jacksonville, far and away, you're number one uh, on the road at Cleveland. You look at uh, Arizona flying around a little bit with, with Tom Savage, who looked better this past week, but still you can go to him into some mistakes along the way. Kansas City going up against the hapless New York football Giants, so an opportunity for you there. Uh, And then the Lions against the Bears. You you look at the number of down and distance. Uh, The Bears, and every third down except for two plays, uh, were third and ten or worse. So a lot of opportunity to pin the ears back and get after Mitchell Trubisky, force him into mistakes, take a couple of big sacks.
1: How did you like Tyrod Till and Calvin Benjamin? How did you like them in their first game together with the Bills?
7: a little saddened by the output, uh, seeing as Tyrod Taylor was my fantasy quarterback in a couple of matchups, and you know, playoff push is on, and I think if I were on radio, I would have been dumped several times, maybe been shown the door uh, by the end of the game. So, when we look at uh, going forward, you know, it's, it's an uneven start, but you know, with with Taylor, they're not committing uh, to, to making any type of change, even though we saw uh, a switch at the back end of the game. But but certainly that does raise your eyebrow of what may be coming, even though they're still locked into the second wild card as we go into week 11. But uh, better days ahead, we'll see a better rapport. I think uh, Benjamin still has a number three because of the upside and red zone potential. But for Tyrod Taylor, on a week-to-week basis, fantasy owners aren't very trustworthy. Trusting him him right now.
2: Let's continue to revel in negativity. That is the foundation of Sports Talk Radio. And I have to admit, I was off base here. I thought Terrell Pryor was going to put up big numbers in Washington. When you think about Deshaun Jackson departing, going to Tampa Bay, Pierre Garçon got all that guaranteed money to go to San Francisco. What happened to Pryor, and is it time to move on from him from your fantasy roster?
7: Yeah, it's a final. If you haven't cut him already, uh, we we can toss him off. If he comes back and has a big game uh, as this year comes to an end, So be it. But as of now, you know, you're looking at a guy who's come up with 20 receptions, only 37 targets. That's. What sixth best on the team? Jordan Reed, who's hardly played, uh, has as many targets as he has right now. It's more Chris Thompson going forward. He's the the leader in the clubhouse alongside Crowder and more Vernon Davis. So uh, for Pryor, it's just not happened this year. Great expectations coming into the year. You're looking for big plays and for Cousins to be pushing the ball downfield to him. But for now, it's time to to go cut bait, go find yourself another option on the waiver wire, uh, get it, get a little deep with some of these other player Corey Davis I think people have picked up but you know he's still out there in some leagues Dontrell Inman as bad as the Chicago offense looks at times well most times Uh, he's also a guy that just from a pure target count, you're looking for opportunity and then you got Bruce Ellington who's become a sneaky play uh, there in Houston because of the number of opportunities being tossed up by Tom Savage.
1: You mentioned expectations. There are two players that I think we all can agree on that underachieved in the first half of the season. That's Julio Jones and Amari Cooper. Which receiver is more likely to have a, sec- a big second half?
7: Now we're talking. Uh, Without having the the full complement of schedule in front of me, I I think desperation starts to sink in for Atlanta uh, and the uh, need to just feed the ball into Julio Jones' hands and try to make plays happen with... you don't have as many monster uh, opportunists out there. you got Cooper, uh, I should say uh, Austin Hooper, uh, because we like looking at Austin Hooper every now and again. Mohamed Sanu uh, with a, a few opportunities. But in Oakland, uh, Derek Carr with more options to distribute the football. So I think Julio Jones is where we force it uh, as the Falcons try to avoid being the latest of the decimated teams post-Super Bowl losses.
2: Finally, Michael, because we talked about the Raiders having the groundbreaking for their Las Vegas stadium last night and played some Wayne Newton. I'm sure you enjoyed that earlier portion of the program. That's a beautiful thing. Duncan Shane, to you, pal. Since I stumbled across the James Taylor uh, Carolina reference, you walk into a night spot. There's a jukebox. You only have two albums available. Greatest Hits of Justin Timberlake, Greatest Hits James Taylor. Which uh, album are you selecting?
7: Well, I play sexy back, remix as loud as I can, and announce my arrival.
2: Wow. That's a tough image in my mind.
7: Especially if I'm wearing that Cam Newton jacket from last <laughs> night, everybody.
2: Are you shimmying as you walk through the door as well? What's going on there?
7: Well, hell yeah. I mean, you got the, you're wearing the boots, you're wearing the form-fitting jeans that show off Quadzilla, and then the glorious baseball-like calves that I rock, uh, and then you take over a room.
2: Okay, well, Kevin Nash no longer is Big Sexy. That can be you in 2017. Thank you, Michael. We'll chat with you next week. Peace
0: and love, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn. in. Your everything audio app.